words. Though we've all been reminded to be careful about the words we speak or the thoughts we think, most are still unaware of the very real consequences of not taking responsibility for what comes out of our mouths or lives in our minds. Stephen Halpern, accomplished musician and sound scientist, lays out a brilliant and well-informed explanation about how words can literally affect our body, mind, and our overall lifestyle. I brought Stephen in based on an account of someone I personally know who can speak firsthand about how a recent experience in which the word she was contracted to speak temporarily turned her world upside down. Take a listen. Stephen, I recently shared with you a story of someone I know who, uh, who is a professional voiceover artist. And she was recently contracted through her agent to record an audiobook. In fact, it was a series of audiobooks that, as she told me, paid quite well, pretty well. Uh, so I want to set this story up for you because this is what we're going to be talking about. I want to set it up. You've, you've actually heard it. I want our audience to, to, to kind of get a context for where we're going to go here. So essentially, after going into the studio, this, this young lady, uh, for several days to record this book, she called me to share her experience, which she said was horrifying, to say the least. Now, this book, and I'm not going to name it, of course, I'm not going to mention the title, was, by her description, the most vile, disgusting, and degrading she had ever laid her eyes on. Now, rather than my retelling all of the details about her experience, I want you to hear directly from her. And by the way, uh, th through this recording, I've deleted all the names in this account for obvious reasons, her name as well as her agent. And then we're going to delve into the effects of words, and in this case, ugly words, and the very real physical and mental, spiritual and emotional consequences that certain words can have on us. So let's take a listen and we'll be right back. So here is a very brief synopsis of my um, audiobook experience. And um, I'll just start by saying that the whole world of voiceover has changed significantly for me in the past, um, I don't know, five to seven years, where there haven't been as many commercial opportunities where you make, you know, good money, residual work, uh, get, you know, get residual payments. So when my agent came to me and said that there was a good opportunity to record audiobooks. Um, she said she had one book uh, for me, so I got very excited. And I went by to pick up the manuscript and started reading it, and I realized, oh my goodness, this is uh, basically pornography, but it was very graphic and kind of brutal. And uh, the story took place basically in the projects, the black community, um, a lot of drug situations, prostitution, um, pimps, you know, beating, brutally beating women. And um, so I'm reading this and thinking, oh my goodness, I, I, this is not what I expected it to be. Although my agent did say, you know, um, the language can be a little bad, so you may want to think of using a pseudonym. And I thought, okay, well, that's fine, you know, bad language, I can deal with that. But it was more than just bad language. It was um, situations that uh, just made me feel very uncomfortable 
reading about. So when I go to the studio, I had to travel quite far, actually. It was an hour's commute to Brooklyn to record in the studio. So that right there was, you know, kind of a feeling of uh, just dread and a lot of work <laughs> associated with it. So I go and I'm sitting in this small, very contained recording booth and I'm saying these words, just any, you know, every profanity you can think of and men doing brutally sexual, sexually explicit um, acts, um, you know, rape basically to other women and um, it just, it really got to me. That first day, I left the studio feeling almost shell-shocked. And I got home and I said, oh my goodness, I have to go back and do this again. And so I had to go back th three more days to finish recording. And each day, I, I felt like I had been almost attacked, brutally attacked. So... I finally finished and my agent called and left a message and said I have at least another two or three books for you to record in the series isn't that great and she proceeded to give me all these dates so it was like another eight dates of recording and I said to myself I cannot do this you know as much as I need the money um, and as much as, you know, uh, our household could have used these um, checks, I said, I can't do it. Uh, it, m it was damaging to my spirit. And the thought of going back for another eight days and probably many more days because there was a whole series of books that they wanted. I called my agent and I said, I don't think I can do this. And she said, you know, you have to follow your heart. And, you know, the money's okay, but it's not great. And you have to do what makes you feel good. And if being in this situation gives you this kind of anxiety, then you shouldn't do it. And I told her, I said, sitting in that recording booth and having those words having those words reverberate in my ears. I have headphones on, speaking into a mic, and those words are just, it's just like a strong, an even stronger impact when you're speaking into a mic and then you ha hear those words coming back at you and you're in this small, confined space. I felt like it was doing damage to me as a woman, as a human being. And um, I'm also in the process of healing from shoulder surgery. I had surgery back in January. And I felt like it was doing something physically to my body um, and possibly inhibiting the healing process because I felt, you know, emotionally sick. And I thought that it might be doing some sort of physical damage to me as well. I really felt that. 
So my agent said, I'm talking to you as a friend now, not as your agent, and you do what you have to do. If you feel like you can't do this anymore, I'm, a, I'm behind you 100%. There will be other opportunities and better opportunities. And um, for about probably the first time in my voiceover career, I turned down money because I felt that my emotional health was so much more important than my financial well-being. And my husband backed me up 100%. And once I made that decision to not continue with the recordings, it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders and the sunshine came back into my life. My spirit felt lighter and I have not regretted it once since. So that's, that's the story. Thank you. What happened here, Stephen, was that she called me, as I said before, because some of you uh, out there know that I, too, also do voiceover work. And in fact, I'm about to go into the studio to record an audiobook this week for myself, uh, actually for a fellow author. But I'm going to call this friend uh, that you just heard from Sue, not her real name. So Sue and I like to bounce things off of each other, particularly as it pertains to our, our common, the careers that we have in common. And she, sort of knowing my philosophy about such matters, felt that I would have something to say about her experience. She was, in fact, at that point contemplating when she when she called me backing out of this contract because of the content of the book that you heard her uh, describe in, in explicit detail. So again, I'd like to focus a discussion on this aspect uh, of, of sound. And you know, Stephen Halpern, that I refer to you as the sound scientist. You are my go-to person for everything on sound and beyond. So take it away, Stephen. Uh, give us your initial thoughts after having listened to this. Well, my initial thoughts uh, come from also my experience as well as some of the latest research. Mm -hmm. uh, she's absolutely right. Uh, what we were told throughout our life that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never harm me mm -hmm. is wrong. That's That's now been proven by people like uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, uh, dealing with communicating with our DNA, communicating with our genes. We can speak to our consciousness and ourselves with the English language, and all these have impressions. The science of subliminal communication the re uh, proves that what we say to ourselves, what we hear, or what we see can have an effect. And, and just uh, resonating with what Sue mentioned, uh, from my own life, I knew even as a kid, when I was playing, or as a teenager playing in bands, there were certain songs I definitely did not want to sing. It was one of the reasons I wasn't the lead singer, because saying some of the depressing blues lyrics or another one of the I Lost My Babies country, country and Western songs, or I Woke Up This Morning and Felt So Bad, intuitively, I knew that that was having a downer effect on me. Mm. And uh, the next day or later that day, I would just feel my energy and feel more depressed and I said, well, I was feeling pretty good before I sang that song. Could that be having an effect? And there was no research to back that up. Well, now in 2017 and for the last 10 or 15 years, we have more research going on in the, in the field of epigenetics. We have in, uh, the work of uh, Dr. Emoto in Japan. Mm. 
we can see the effect, the physical effect of negative thought forms and energy fields. And, and this is what it really comes down to is words have an energy, emotions have an energy, and whether it's in music, which has been my focus, mm -hmm. or just the words, which are so much easier to understand, we now know that if you know how to and have uh, formats in which you can measure the effects, that you can see that this is not all in your head. It's in your cells, it's in the energy fields, and it really does have a negative effect. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this. I'm glad you brought up uh, Masato Emoto, the late, now late Masato Emoto, because uh, I have a feeling there are a lot in our audience that are familiar with his work. But for the benefit of those that don't, could you give a thumbnail of what he did uh, to show the effect of words on water, particularly? Okay, Dr. Emoto uh, pioneered a technique of quick freezing water to create crystalline shapes and when he would ex either have people speak words into a glass of water or uh, into a slide of water, let's say, uh, that's probably where they took the drop from, or even just write a word on a piece of paper and tape that to the slide or the pitcher of water the evoked image when the water was frozen and then photographed the ice crystals that resulted from words like love and peace and beauty were beautiful snowflake type images. The images that he published from negative words or angry words or dark darkness in infused words, negative consciousness, created non-geometrical, non-beautiful, very scattered and very dissonant uh, images. Now, what was also so interesting is that this would work in the English language, but of course, being Japanese, he used Japanese characters and languages as well, and it worked in that language. So his, his understanding was it, this is a cross-cultural, vibrational, uh, resonance, and uh, this is why it's so important to monitor what you say and what you think. It's the same thing that many of the New Thought ministers, and, and maybe some of the traditional uh, teachers, spiritual teachers, have uh, spoken about in terms of uh, not uh, re-speaking uh, re negativity or maybe even gossip because it not only hurts uh, the person you're talking about but hurts you just to be saying it and with Sue's situation just to be reading uh, those words would kind of bring that into her own experience absolutely yeah absolutely. and so she was, she was definitely picking up on uh, honoring her own spirit and honoring her own well-being. Right. Well, I want to, you bring up a couple of good points that I want I don't want to lose my train of thought on. The first the, was the last thing that you said in terms of her speaking, reading these words, but we, we all know that when you're doing an audiobook, you're doing more than reading, you're speaking them. I should say, I don't know if I told you this, Stephen, but Sue actually had done some recording. I mean, she 
you know, the agent, I think, wanted her to do a number of books. So she actually had to go through with one of those books. So not only was she reading as in, you know, going over the manuscript, she was acting them out, these characters and all this vile language Mm -hmm. in a confined space. So we're not even talking about thinking or reading. We're talking about the verbal, the the reverberation of her voice even in going into the atmosphere uh, you know, and, and the effect that that would have, I would dare say, would be more like speaking those words of hate or love into water. And just one more little point I want to make and maybe have you comment on both of those things, both of these things is, um, you know, I've always been fascinated with how water behaves under certain conditions. And in fact, I did a, an experiment several years ago where I took a glass of water and put it in front of a speaker which was playing Guess, get this, the sound of the sun. Yes, there's actually a recording of the sound of the sun. Well, make a long story short, I did some measurements. I did this for a few days. I did some dowsing over a before and after playing the sound of the sun on this water. And Stephen, the effect, the oscillation changed every single time Mm. before and after. And that proved to me that it was having some effect on the structure of the water. So my point is, let's take a little bit of a syllogism here. If water can be affected by sound, and measurably so, as I showed, and we're comprised of over 70% water, I don't know what the exact amount is, but it's a lot, we can pretty much surmise that we're being affected physically by this sound. Our, the water within us is being structured. Absolutely. And, and this is part of what Emoto uh, proved with, with his research and other scientists on other levels. So absolutely, that's the case. And I believe another reason why this is so relevant is with all the stuff that's now coming out about free speech versus hate speech. Yeah. And of course, every time a mass murderer or the, uh, the shooter in uh, Las Vegas uh, or uh, the one in Florida last year, the media always or most always, some are finally uh, doing less of it sticks their photo on the TV screen mm-hmm. and you have and even with my remote it still takes a second or two to get to another channel to get rid of that I can feel the negativity and the depression and the uh, the bad stuff that's happening being forced to look at something that in uh, uh, that has that level of negativity built into it and attached to it. And one wonders whether the media knows that and that's why they're mm-hmm. doing that, which of course takes us into another whole level. Oh, yeah. But what I can tell you back from many, many studies for over four or five decades is that what we see with advertising and actually uh, what started. Uh, with Sigmund Freud and and, and his nephew uh, and the rise of propaganda and Mm -hmm. advertising, the first rule of that is repetition, repetition, repetition. Absolutely, yes. So when we're confronted with negative images or stories or what we saw with 9-11 when the buildings were coming down, played over and over and over on TV, uh, that sets up an internal resonance and uh, 
it takes effort to get rid of that because it's implanted directly into the subconscious mind and the people that are doing that have to know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Oh, no doubt about it. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that is going down another rabbit hole that we could certainly talk about. And I know some of our audience are going to say, okay, well, you got Las Vegas and 9-11, two of the biggest possible conspiracies out there. This is not what this is about. But and what you're the point you're making, Stephen, is that the media being perhaps somewhat complicit in the propagandizing of these stories in and of itself uh, is just is, is a sin. And th- yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Let me ask you a question. Uh, let's see. One of the things I wanted to, let's take a look at, you're talking about advertising and propaganda and repetition of stories. And most of which I always say, if, uh, if it bleeds, if it bleeds, it doesn't make, if it bleeds, it leads. But then I came up with these days, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't make the cut. Get it? (laughs) So it meaning 90% of our newscasts are negative. Um, so do you do feel do you feel that this is designed to keep us in a negative and disempowered state that the media is a part of this? Well, yes, and there's many people who uh, come at it from a more scientific level or or perhaps who worked inside and know that that's going on and many people who work in the media don't know that. But mm-hmm. if, if your editor says, if you don't give me this, you're not going to get on the air. And if, and if you try to put this positive story out, uh, in a feel-good story, we're going to lose ratings. I believe there's also an aspect of addiction that goes on. It's easy to get addicted to negativity, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, and you mentioned pornography, but there's perhaps uh, pornography that's, more loving or maybe that's not called pornography maybe that's erotic but so much pornography has violence attached to it Mm -hmm. and any of that uh encodes that energy field into the imagery into the sounds and gosh one of the first conferences i was at in 1976 i heard in my head when dr william tiller was talking about quantum physics and what happens with very subtle resonance and entrainment effects of uh, and the um, experience of intention. He was one of the first scientists that figured out how to measure intention, which has no mass and no physicalness, but yet it's an energy field that music is a carryaway for conscious, a carrier wave of consciousness. So if you add words or imagery to it, it's that that much more powerful. And that's why movies are so powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. That's right. The work of uh, Bill Tiller. Amazing. So many have really zoned in on this. Well, you brought, brought something else up that will bring me to this next thing. I want to talk about cadence and vocal strength. And then we, we kind of touched on the emotional part of it. I, I don't think you can have, you can say something, particularly as a, as a voiceover artist, you've got to be the character. You've got to morph into whomever you're reading. And I know that because I, I do, although I do less characters and more uh, nonfiction. But how, Stephen, does that play in uh, the likely, well, I don't know if likelihood is the word I want to use, but cadence, vocal strength and emotion does that really seal the deal in terms of guaranteed it's going to have an effect on the individual that's enunciating the words, or does well, it matter? Well, well sure. If, if you're getting into that state, all what, what we're talking about is a state-related experience, and your state 
radiates out when I was first getting involved in research in the early 1970s, the research associates that I was connecting with said, oh, well, you know, if you're doing this, you might be interested in this research. And they would turn me on to a number of different bits of research that I w might never have um, uh, discovered on my own. And this was known back then in 1977. I was in London and uh, Dr. George Hall showed me some of the research that he was uh, working with that showed bankers know that uh, you can record feelings and vibrations on recorded tape, which was his come, uh, come on and proposal that since his voice was so wonderful, he was psycho-cybernetics, that he knew how to get all that consciousness to communicate through his voice. This is Dr. George Hall, in mm -hmm. a very distinguished English voice. So this was known back then. And as with anything, you don't want to let the secrets out either so that your competitors mm -hmm. won't know about it or that um, people won't be able to set up their own defenses what I learned early on about uh, talking back to TV or talking back to movies, when I would hear negativity, I would, uh, spiritual teachers say, you know, you say cancel, cancel, or change the channel very quickly so you're not continually bombarded with that kind of assault. But that's something I recognize. I'll share just one other thing, which had words, but they weren't negative words. And so this is where things get even more uh, universal. In 1985 or so, I was contacted by a yoga teacher and said, I'm working with RCA, I'm, I'm doing a yoga video, and we're going to sell 100,000 uh, copies, and we're going to give you a royalty of a dollar per DVD. So that'll be $100,000 for you. Now, they also didn't send me a check in advance, mm -hmm. but this is what they said. So I said, okay, how bad could it be? I've done some of these. I did one with Lilius Folan, worked with other yoga teachers. Well, when I got her video, which had the audio, her voice was so stressed and her cadence, uh, she was, her breathing was so erratic that in the studio, I was finding my own breathing was shallow and irregular mm. and I was really having a problem with it. So I told the engineer, hmm. okay, tell you what we're going to do. Uh, turn off her audio. I'll just record my music based on her movements. And even that was, I actually had to go to the bathroom and throw up. I mean, there was really? so much tension oh that was uh, coming through the video, even without the sound. So that was a, a breakthrough. And I called her, and then I was directed to her lawyer. Said, well, you can't back out of the contract. And I said, well, I can't do this project. I mean, it's making me physically sick. And they said, well, you signed the contract, and we're going to sue you for $100,000. And I said, bring it on, because I will play your video in court, and we'll stress out all the jurors, and you'll, you know, they'll, they'll toss your case out. Hmm. At which point they stopped communicating with me. I never heard from them again. Isn't that something? Well, this is directly related to to what we're talking about here. Yes. Let me ask you this. Is there some, could it be that some people, I know that you're very 
sensitive. And I mean that in a, in a positive way. You're very tuned yeah. in. So you're so, somewhat of an empath, I think. You, you, you soak oh, yes. in like a sponge. And I, I'm the same way. And for people like that, for people like us, we definitely need to kind of pace ourselves because we can take in, you know, I can walk into a room and there may be somebody that hasn't said a word to me, but I'll feel it. Uh, you know, that's well known. But I mean, it sounds like you fell immediately into resonance with that which was the the dominating, you know, through stress, but it was the dominating energy. That doesn't make it good. It's just dominating. It's louder energy. And you ended up falling into resonance with that. So right. that's that's just amazing to me. I had another point that I forgot, but nonetheless, I'd like you to continue. Um, yeah. So there you go. The the tone of the voice, the cadence, of course. Right. Now, on the other end, you mentioned cadence. Yeah. Uh, do you know that uh, many of the pastor training uh, seminars and workshops where if you are in, perhaps in certain denominations, you are taught to have the voice role so mm -hmm. that your voice becomes rhythmic and in that rhythm, rhythm sets up an I don't want to say an addictive, but a hypnotic Absolutely. Uh, resonance and a hypnotic entrainment. And then your message gets received by the subconscious mind more powerfully. How this is often sold, uh, who is reporting on this? In 1980, Richard Sutton was reporting on this. He got to one of those seminars because he was leading, he was a hypnotist, so we knew about the hypnotic qualities of voice and voice role is how that's uh, called. And he said, these, uh, some of these training seminars said, when you use these techniques, you can double the amount of money you get from the uh, uh, donation. Right. So they knew what they were Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. Well, I mean, aren't we talking about NLP, some aspect of neuro-linguistic programming? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm listen, I'm sure that this has been well known in, in areas of psychology, particularly in marketing and advertising. And uh, who comes to mind, uh, someone that you know quite well is Dr. Eldon Taylor and the extraordinary work that he's done. It's Taylor, right? Eldon Taylor. Yes. I have it. In fact, I've got his book right here called Mind Programming. Uh, yep. And obviously, he goes into to excruciating detail, not only on sound, but particularly in on imaging, subliminal yes. imaging. This is an old thing, but still, there are people that are either they've heard it and it's just going over their head, or they don't believe it because they continue. And you make a good point, Stephen. When in this age of hate speech being first and foremost and prominent, and you know, uh, identity politics and all the words that go with it. Um, People need to be aware of what what's coming out of their out of their mouth. Go back to if you would. You were bringing up an example of looking at a TV or movie and talking back to it, particularly if it's in disgust or whatever. I want to yes. make sure I understood what you were saying. The the advice that you were given is don't do that. Right? Don't don't get into a dialogue with the with the, the dialogue that you're hearing. Is, no, I, no. Oh, okay. What I was saying was. Talk back oh. because that breaks the hypnotic trance. That breaks the spell. That makes it conscious rather than unconscious. Oh. And uh, if it's if you can't change the channel or mute what what's going on, uh, it breaks the trance. Is is the wording that I was uh, taught last night? I I was uh, channel surfing on TV a little bit. I saw 
a I guess it's a new TV program, The Wisdom of the Crowd, mm-hmm. and it dealt with uh, hate speech and free speech and some of the issues that clearly come from the headlines right now. And when they flashed to some of the signs that the protesters were gathering, uh, were holding as they were marching around and doing doing the demonstration, I felt in my solar plexus and in my heart chakra a pain and a stress. And I, so I could, I could mute immediately, but I just had to change the channel. It was just looking at that negativity is exactly what we're talking about. Uh, I, I did not know where it was coming, so I was not ready for it. And it was, it, 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 it was painful. Hmm. You've referenced this before, specifically with you. I remember you talking about the, the buzzing or the very low hum a refrigerator was making and how, was it yes. the refrigerator or TV or maybe both? Um, well, so again, makes yeah. high sound refrigerator makes a low sound, right? right. But you're picking up on some th- some things in a way that uh, that m- maybe other people are not. So again, I go back to: could some people be much more sensitive to this, or is it affecting all of us? Nobody's immune. Both. Some people are much more sensitive. Some people's hearing is much more acute, like me. Mm-hmm. I could hear the silent fan of a plasma TV right. 12 years ago when I got my first big screen. Right. And I got rid of that. And the uh, people who had to take it back at the store said, no one has ever complained about that mm. before. But I was aware. And here's, here's how I, because I wasn't even hearing it at first, you know, with all the other sounds that we have going on softly in the background. But I noticed that when I was watching TV, after I moved up from my uh, Sony, uh, the last of the CRT, uh, which had the, the high-frequency scanning sound, that I was always hungry. And I basically could not stop eating. And a lot of those would turn more to sweets uh, when I was watching this new TV. Yeah. And, it was, and I turned it off, and I was still having that problem. It wasn't until... I pulled it out of the, I pulled the plug out of the wall, that I heard something go, ooh, then huh. it was fine. And that was an internal fan that they never talked about. I could barely even find it in the owner's manual, but that was the culprit. And that was really interesting for me, that I heard something that uh, obviously most people don't hear, but in the same way I hear high sounds. Uh, my hearing acuity has been tested in audiology labs, and I hear beyond normal human hearing. Mm-hmm. That's a, a mixed blessing. But whether you hear it or not, you are most likely affected by it. But some people are much less affected by it than others. And just as with electromagnetic uh, pollution, some people may not be uh, affected by it, or some people may not be affected enough to recognize it and and it doesn't affect their well-being just like uh some people uh they, they have thicker literally thicker skin and they don't get hot or cold as much as uh, somebody else right uh you know being in the room with someone who needs it hot whether it's a, a girlfriend or someone else you get to know very quickly that people have different levels that they're comfortable at and that's their level of sensitivity. They're not wrong, but it's different than me. And they couldn't understand my experience because they're not having it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that went back to, to, to my father uh, when I was a kid. 
complaining about the low rumble of the refrigerator affecting my stomach and causing gas, which is <laughs> what was, you know, uh, uh, not of concern to him, but uh, was pissing him off. He said, how come you have so much gas? And I said, well, I couldn't say it's because of mom's cooking. And then, and then we learned that she was cooking tomato sauce in aluminum cans, and that was oh, creating no. toxic toxins in, in the food even though she cooked them with love, but the sound of the refrigerator was literally rumbling and resonating in my stomach area yeah. and causing, as I would later learn from my research, changing uh, acetic acid to acetylene gas. Isn't that so uh, the work of Dr. Podolsky in 1920s knew that about digestion. So that was one of the early things I would write about in my, in my first books, that these things could have an effect but my, it didn't affect my father. And he actually said to me, it doesn't affect me, so how could it affect right, you? Right. So shut up and eat your peas. Yeah, I remember you. <laughs> it's, you know? Oh, my goodness. Wow. I remember you sharing something similar. I, I think it was the refrigerator story. I know I had heard the plasma TV story. This, well, wow. This could take us in all, this will take us in a whole other direction. Let's touch on this. So what you're saying is that it's not only the foods that we're eating, God only knows what the GMOs and the crap that were being peddled every day. Oh, yeah. Too many people are still taking in, literally. Um, that's enough to cause all that stuff. But look at all of the digital, the te technological, quote, advancements that are eliciting even more of these sorts of things. And have you noticed how many commercials are for gas uh, you know, issues and digestive issues. Oh, yeah. So would it be fair to say, Stephen, that we're swimming in a sea of gas producing or, you know, um, acid producing even beyond the food in the technology? Oh, absolutely. It's not just gas producing, but we look right. at some of the, the trends uh, and some of the research that has gone on and is now some of it is being shut down by uh, shutting down the research grants of some of the leading EMF, elect electromagnetic pollution scientists, like mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Oli jo uh, Johnson in um, uh, Sweden, that the effects on our human nervous system, we're, seeing, we're swimming in a sea of uh, electromagnetic frequencies that we've never had uh, to deal with biologically for most of humanity's existence only in the last you know 20 or 30 years have a lot of these been uh, been happening and under the guise of making our lives more uh easy or more mm. uh efficient uh, accessible or efficient or whatever we are allowing so much more of these electromagnetic frequencies have basically been untested the ca the chemicals might be tested on their own, but not in combination. And that's where we're seeing the GMO and the other uh, uh, new developments having so many deleterious effects. Going back one other thing, back, back in uh, when I was in college, when I got into macrobiotics and I started developing uh, my sensitivity to foods, we found that some of the stores that were supposedly selling organic foods were lying. Yeah. And how my friends and I would um, identify that they would hire me to 
go with them to the store, like with an apple, and they would give me a bite of the apple. And if I had to go to the bathroom in a minute or two, they said, this one has a spray on it. It's not organic. <laughs> so I was feeling this 40 years ago. But now you look at the rise of ADHD. Mm-hmm. You take a look at the rise of Alzheimer's. You take a look at so many things that are all very possibly linked to what's going on in this ocean of frequencies that have never been tested. And uh, and now that, that uh, Calif- uh, at least California just stopped the spread of the 5G technology. I was just going to bring up 5G. Can't have this right. conversation. There's still a lot of people out there that have no idea what we're talking about. Huge. No in the L- yeah. Yeah. You want, to, you want to speak about that a little bit, Stephen? Because I well, know you're all over that. Uh, cell phones, microwave towers have been known to emit uh, a variety of frequencies. And some of them are not that good. What's going on right now, uh, I saw at least one Maybe only one news report on CNN or maybe it was the uh, uh, script that was going at the bottom where the embassy in Cuba is being irradiated with microwaves, they said, and is causing hearing damage to the uh, embassy uh, officials and the people who work there. So they were all moving out. Well, this was going on in Moscow in, what, the 70s or 80s when the people who were working there were being bombarded by uh, negative frequencies. So we know that this is possible. And then we just haven't heard much about it. But uh, the fact that there was not just psychological effects but hearing damage, uh, and we might have to Google it to find out if, if a lot of that has been wiped, but... That's related to politics and uh, function of people in an embassy. Because people want better cell phone reception, Verizon and some of the other companies say, well, we've moved up from 3G and even better than 4G is going to be 5G Mm. and we need this, which means instead of just having a microwave tower in town or on top of uh, one church, we need it on like every five buildings. So no one is going to be immune from it. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the prospect of being irradiated constantly for people, and it could be maybe as much as 15 to 20% of the population who is sensitive, the 80% say, well, it's good for us so we don't care. We've had these discussions. We, I've seen it in the papers. You know, who are you to tell me I can't get better cell phone reception? <laughs> well, it's just, it's just like with smoking. I don't tell you you can't smoke, but your right to smoke stops at my nose. Mm. I don't want to get your secondhand smoke in my house. But with microwaves, I get the microwaves from my neighbor who lives above me and has a router and a, uh, a tower, a, a mini tower in their own home to increase reception, and both of their kids are ADHD. Mm. And I mentioned that to them. I said, you know, do you know that there's research that points out the relationship? And they basically said, we don't believe that. Get out of our house. And that was the last time they spoke, which was 
you know, fine on one level, and happily they finally moved. But that's what we're facing, and we're facing this rollout. And what I've heard about the 5G is not just for cell phones, but that's going to be part of the driverless technology for automobiles. Mm -hmm. So there's a long-range uh, vision that they have. The problem is it might be good for the driverless cars, but it's not good for the drivers. That's right. I wish I were more uh, well-schooled on, on this whole 5G rollout. I'm, I'm going to make it a point to, I, I'm certainly aware that there's been a lot of discussion about the dangers and there are people that have gone into really, really great, uh, done some great work on that. So that's definitely something, oh boy, so much. Well, listen, I want to, I'm looking at the time here. We're going to be winding down in about 10 or 15 minutes and I want, there are a few more things I want to get to, but I want to get back to the, the, the spoken word thing because that's uh Mm -hmm. that's, that's where we're going. All, although all of these things are related, this is all about our well-being and how to mitigate the risks that are all around yeah. us. Let me read you something, Stephen, that I found. Just just today, I found this small statement um, in an article written by a Dr. Sharon Bonds, PhD. I'm not too familiar. I'm not familiar with her work at all. I actually just ran in uh, to this article today. But she's a practicing psychologist, and she specializes in women's emotional health <clears throat> um, from, you know, as, as a psychologist. And what I found here was quite interesting. Let me read this quote to you. She says, spoken words are units of expressions that carry vibrations and spirits as a means for the provider to convey the, to the recipient their feelings, emotions, warnings, faith, hope, and thoughts. Words have energy vibrations and spirits attached to them that affects both the sender and receiver while opening up vibrations that invoke feelings and emotions into the recipients and those spirits are invoked by the provider's intent. I, I think you know where I'm going here. Emphasis on spirits. Key, the, yeah. That's a key word here. Do you feel that certain words can have the influence of spirits or moreover spirits attached to them? Now we're going to go a little metaphysical, but let's yeah. do that. Well, that's one of the most ancient uh, understandings of the power of words. You know, and long before uh, Jesus was talking about the power of words, uh, many other spiritual teachers were. Uh, and if the words don't necessarily have spirits attached to them when you speak them and when you think them for, for self-talk, but when you speak them, it broadcasts that it's out there. And it's like putting out uh, a, a radio signal. And if there are uh, lower vibrational uh, spirits that are tuned in to those words, you will attract that in the same way that we're told if you work with a Ouija board, that will attract certain things. So whether it's attached to or attracting, the net result is that you get some stuff that you may not uh, realize you're attracting. Huh. That's heavy. Because I'm, yeah, now, I'm, yeah, go ahead, please. And, and one of the other aspects, of course, of how do you mitigate that? Well, that's that's what I've dedicated my uh, career to, uh, both with music uh, that empowers the innate intelligence of the individual, which will override the negative programming, and also then amplifying those effects with positive affirmations recorded subliminally so these are you know albums with subliminal affirmations and you know again uh, louise hay was uh, certainly one of the great mm -hmm. teachers who brought the power of affirmations written affirmations spoken affirmations and uh, at least in some cases 
subliminal affirmations out to the world. It's something that I got turned on to early on in my career and helped me write my first book when I wrote some of my own affirmations that uh, uh, affirmed to myself that I enjoyed writing the book, I was making progress every day, I worked through writer's block, and my efficiency was transformed. So I, I've had many cases where I validated this myself. Many other people have had experiences where you can mitigate the negative response by putting in some positive program. If you give, whether it's just with the music or the beat or the tones, as opposed to uh, just sitting there and taking, even in a hotel room, I always bring my own little sound system mm-hmm. or now, you know, on headphones because there are so many sounds in hotel rooms that I'm not used to and that are uh, negative for my body that if I feed my, po- my, my body uh, and hearing apparatus and my mind positive alternatives, our bodies will generally choose the more positive option if you give it a choice. But if it has no choice, it's naturally going to resonate to the more deleterious frequencies. Mm -hmm. So that's why I surround myself with positive frequencies in sounds and colors and aromas, etc. Because Mm -hmm. it supports my own innate intelligence. Absolutely. We always have the choice. See, this is why I, I had to have you on for this and love having you on because you are the number one advocate for taking your life back into your own hands. Forgive the cliche. Do what makes you feel good. And again, we could get into the psychology of why people tend to be attracted to negativity and and scary movies and and ugly words. But when you realize, as you so so articulately put, we can make the choice to to fix that immediately unless you want to just live in in hell. And the first step is awareness. Awareness. And that's why when I was yelling back at movies or TVs, uh, you know, when I didn't like what was being said or when there was negativity, that, again, breaks the trance, but it gives you a choice and it makes you aware that something is going on as opposed to being unaware and then just being, you know, zapped without any defense. Yeah. I'm smiling broadly because I have a habit of so much crap on. And unfortunately, I'm not a big television watcher. And I do watch the news for because of what I do. But I am constantly yelling back, not only at news segments, you know, because I'm looking at it from a different perspective, but even commercials. I'm not even going to get into that. I'm going to tell you something off the air um, that, uh, that, that I just discovered that's just completely disgusting. I mean, it just goes on and on. Once you can see patterns in what we're being zapped with every day in terms of our quote media. Yeah. You just, you can't turn back. You you never look at everything the same, anything the same, I should say. Listen, I'm talking fast because I want to make sure we get in a couple of things here. Um, and then we're going to close in. By the way, everyone, I want uh, you to go because Stephen's music is just incredible. We, many of us know he is Grammy nominated and I believe will be soon Grammy awarded. You will have a Grammy in his, in his nice home. Um, but he's uh, he's been nominated for a Grammy, and uh, because of his wonderful uh, album Deep Alpha. So if you go to Stephen, I want to correct me if I'm wrong. It's both Stephen with a V Halpern dot com or Inner Peace Music. Stephen, it's that still because I went there yep. and it kind of led me to Stephen Halpern. But what's your default uh, domain now? Is it Stephen? The, si- the simplest one is Stephen Halpern dot com, but uh, the 
the label name Inner Peace Music is will get you to the same place. Okay, perfect. And of course, we'll make sure to have both linked to uh, to this interview. But right. Go- and what you what I would recommend is is the uh, more recent albums since 2010 and 11. As I was going through more stress from the 4G and from other things happening mm-hmm. in the environment, I wanted to make more like industrial strength albums for myself and share them with other people. And I said, this is really uh, even better than your earlier uh, recordings. So Deep Alpha, Deep Theta, uh, have the brainwave entrainment in addition to the music and a very deep state of balance that I was in when I was recording. And then albums with subliminal uh, affirmations. I'm just finishing one for ADHD, both for kids and Mm -hmm. for adults. Uh, the album that I have called Optimal Health at the Speed of Sound uh, has some of the quotes from Dr. Chopra and Dr. Hyman who are talking about the power of words and the power of communicating with ourselves and our cellular consciousness, our DNA, that we can take steps. And, you know, if you wait for that to show up on a streaming service, you might be waiting a long time. It's something that I believe everyone should have in their sound medicine cabinet at home. So you could, even if you play just one song, you know, a day, listen to that. It'll reorient your body, mind, and spirit to a positive, state rather than a negativity state love it go there everyone go there i've been there get that music we need it now more than ever (laughs) certainly do and by the way a little plug for Stephen and i together uh i don't know if you know well hopefully some of you know because you've got it uh we i had the pleasure of working with him on uh what what we call transformation through spiritual wellness in which i did a guided meditation over one of the tracks from deep alpha and i love talking about that and i love playing it for folks and uh, if you go to my website, higherjourneys.com, you can find out how to get it. So it was a pleasure and an honor to to work with you on that, Stephen. Now, listen, Absolutely. we're going to close out with something uh, quite urgent. And I want to give this, uh, this deserves a, a few minutes of y'all's time out there. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Stephen is out in Northern California uh, right now amidst these horrific, horrific wildfires. And I have to say, when I called Stephen, you know, on the fly and said, Stephen, can you hook me up and come on the show? I want to talk about this. Do you know, and, and shame on me, it didn't even dawn on me. And I know you live there, of course, but um, it escaped me for a moment when you said that you're dealing with swollen eyes because of the fires. And I thought, oh my gosh, of course, you're there. What's Give us a, give us a short report on where you are uh, right now, where everyone is with these fires. Not the media report, <laughs> your report. What's going well, on? The areas that had the major fires and the firestorms, some of them are wiped out entire communities, neighborhoods, uh, stores, uh, wineries. Some, uh, many are still uh, working, but a lot of the, uh, I mean, there's 6,000 uh, homes, basically, that are where people don't have any place to go back to. The fires, are, are, if not out, are finally contained. Uh, after the rain we had a couple of days ago, it's the first time I've seen blue sky in uh, basically two weeks. And I'm 40 miles away from the closest fires, 100 miles from some of the other ones. Uh, the first night it was happening, I walked outside after the first report that it was just a 200-acre fire, and I was I walked outside. I said, "Why is it snowing?" 
And then I realized that's ash. And I was over 50 miles away. I went to bed. I woke up. I was feeling terrible. I could barely open my eyes and turned on the news. And of course, that was the first night that things had gone from 200 acres to uh, almost 100,000 acres. Oh and uh, it is just, uh, it, it moved so quick that a lot of people only had seconds to leave, which is unbelievable. Uh, you know, California used to be famous for earthquakes, but when an earthquake comes, it's a surprise, and then it's over. This uh, this firestorm, I mean, it's devastated so many lives. Uh, we were still only dealing with the beginning of understanding and how to put people's lives back mm -hmm. because there was already a housing shortage in Northern California, and suddenly you have people who've had homes uh, some were the uh, lower income homes, a lot were in the higher income areas. These homes took a year or two to build over many, many years. The <laughs> the enormity of building homes just, uh, you know, as, as it is in Puerto Rico, uh, where are all the the contractors and the builders and the building supplies to come, uh, to come from? Some of the uh, big stores that had the building supplies burned up. They had a lot of lumber there, oh, so they yeah. burned up. So on every level, it's, it's bizarre. And what I, I knew I could feel in my heart and in my brain was this the being stunned and dazed. That is very, in my life, there have been very few times that I've had that experience. And I was 50 miles away, so I was picking up on the the... Uh, pain and the grief and the fear and the the stunned and, and dazedness of hundreds of thousands of people and I knew that's what it was but I and I it was difficult to get past that for a couple of days and the fact that I couldn't open my uh, basically could barely even open my eyes could not go outside without a mask for a couple of minutes I lived inside with the air filter on I'm going what about the people who, and, and you think about the first yeah. responders, they are working right next to the fire. They're fully in smoke, and yes, they have respirators, yeah. but you know, they're again, and they sign up for the job. They're built for that. Uh, it's, so it, it's changed that area of Northern California, right above San Francisco, the wine country, and, and up north, uh, if not forever, for the rest of my lifetime, and yeah. of a lot of lifetimes. So it's it's a major, major change. Now, did that uh, fire start from just sparks from lightning or from something else, or just the fact that all the trees were so dry that any spark would cause something? All of those are possible. We know back from Southern California, the Santa Ana winds always mm -hmm. come at this time of the year. So California, we've known that you know October is both the most beautiful weather month but it's also bring the dry winds, and there have been some of the worst fires in Oakland about 20, uh, 25 years ago, 1991, and some other big fires in this area, but nothing as big as, big as this. Nothing as big as this. Wow. Listen, everyone, I... So we, we and, need to you know, send, send prayers. Yeah, and, you know, well, that's what I was going to say. I am imploring everyone in the Higher Journeys audience especially after this discussion about the power of the spoken word to, we'll call it a prayer, a meditation, words that will heal. Say them out loud. 
come up with a, a little affirmation for yourself to help heal and rebuild and stop this madness out there. Will you? I am asking everyone out there to keep Stephen, to help to say a prayer to keep Stephen and every, everyone all over the planet, for goodness sakes, with all that's going on. But particularly, let's deal with, let's slay one dragon at a time. This is the one that's right in front of us right now. It needs to stop. So with that said, um, and it will, and there's, there's, there's good coming. There has to be. I have you to. Know, it, uh, yeah. if, if we could just bring one other specific uh, bit of information. Uh, sure. Huffington, Huffington Post just uh, posted some of the work of uh, the New Academy by Tom DeLong, uh, yes. and, uh, mm -hmm. who's working with the, used to be the, the punk rock group Blink-182. Blink yeah. yeah. Uh, there is technology hope. Uh, Stephen Greer and his book Unacknowledged talking about there is technology that can change some of this, uh, but it's being kept from us. Mm -hmm. If more people started uh, getting aware of that and demanding that we uh, make use of that, there's, there's a chance that we can turn this thing around. Without it, we're just going to see more fires and more more disasters. I agree. I'm going to have those links. I'm going to have oh, Tom DeLong's uh, name keeps coming up. In fact, I'm supposed to be on uh, Jimmy Church's show. Not too. We haven't set a date yet, but uh, we're going to chat about that a little bit. So thank you. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to make sure to have those links. So listen, Stephen Halpern, I don't want you to hang up because I want us to do a proper uh, goodbye. Okay. It's so long, but I'm going to sign off uh, for, for now on our show. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for bringing, as always, such incredible uh, uh, knowledge and wisdom to, to our Higher Journeys audience and having the benefit of all of your many, many years of knowledge. You're brilliant, man. I, I love you for it. So thank you. Well, thank you. And stay tuned, everyone. God bless. God bless. If there was ever an old adage that has proven to be completely untrue, this is it. Words can hurt you. Not only the words you hear from others, but of those you speak yourself. And now there's science to support just that. Fortunately, because Sue had the presence of mind to immediately stop her recording contract, she's now back to a more normal and positive way of life. This is important stuff. I would urge you to become aware of what words and thoughts surround you on a daily basis. Pay attention to how you feel when you take in or speak out certain words. And then, as Stephen told us, if the words aren't suiting you for your highest good, then simply cancel. It's that simple. To learn more about this fascinating subject, I urge you to visit HigherJourneys.com, where we will have links to all of the great science and researchers that Stephen mentioned in this episode. As always, I appreciate your tuning in to Higher Journeys Radio. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.